You can listen to all episodes of Leonard ad-free on Wondry Plus. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts. I felt that it was important that I confirm whether the agents were dead or not. And I asked Mr. Bear Runner to go with me down to the site of the shooting. We walked together down the road and dropped off of the hill into the little valley where the car was, and the two agents were lying dead beside it. That's Kendall Cumming, superintendent of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, talking to NPR reporter Kevin McKiernan at the site of the Pine Ridge shootout on June 26, 1975. And the Mr. Bear Runner he mentions, that's Edgar Bear Runner. It was obvious that they were dead at the time, and uh, we observed it situation and uh, shortly after that we went back up the hill to the perimeter and word came back that the decision would be mine by that time it was beginning to get late I was concerned that something would have to be done so I made the decision that we would assault the the houses at 530 you're listening to Leonard a new podcast series about Leonard Peltier the longest-serving political prisoner in American history. I'm Andrew Fuller. And I'm Rory Owen Delaney. We spent the last year working to share Leonard's story with a new generation of people, who he is, how we ended up behind bars, and why we believe he deserves to go free. If you're just tuning in, we often use the term Indian in this podcast, rather than just Native American or Indigenous because that's the word Leonard, Edgar Bear Runner, and all the other Lakota we spoke with used to describe themselves. None of these names is accurate. Even the word Sioux is a European misinterpretation. The Ojibwe, who were feuding with the Lakota, called their rivals a word meaning cutthroat, which to English speakers sounded like Sioux. And when the English speakers wrote the Ojibwe word for cutthroat down, they spelled Sioux like a French word with a silent X. In other words, shit is all messed up. Back in episode one, we began digging into the events that led up to the shootout on the Jumping Bull Ranch on June 26, 1975. A shootout that left an Indian, Joe Stunts, and two FBI agents, Jack Kohler and Ronald Williams, dead. Three men all members of the American Indian Movement, or AIM, were eventually tried for the murders of Special Agents Kohler and Williams, Bob Rabadou, Dino Butler, and Leonard Peltier. No one was charged for the killing of Joe Stunts. 44 years later, Leonard Peltier is still in prison. If he's ever going to get out, it will be in no small part because of the advocacy of Edgar Bear Runner, a member of the Oglala Sioux who was present the day of the shootout and acted as an intermediary between the Indians under siege on Jumping Bull Ranch and the law enforcement agencies that were invading the compound. I think Barack Obama was the right person to free Peltier, but didn't. This is Edgar. We've got to keep educating uh, the national community about uh, what really happened here. You know, 
uh, we were blindsided. A smoke screen was created to divert our attention away from the, the theft of our land here on Pendant Reservation. And it's a cheap shop, but uh, uh, even though you're innocent in some of the cities, the jury will still find you guilty. You know? So now it's a national crusade to get the borders involved and to push for push for clemency. Um, millions and millions of uh, people all over the world have uh, affixed their signatures in support of Lenin's freedom. And um, there's still nothing happening. When we introduced Edgar in episode one, he was helping us find Angie Long Visitor, now Angie Two Lances. He believes the FBI held her in jail on false charges in order to coerce her to give grand jury testimony against Leonard in November 1975. But we'll be coming back to Angie and all the other madness surrounding Leonard's trial in Season 2. We realize we need to spend more time in Season 1 looking into why tensions were running so high on the Pine Ridge Reservation in the 1970s. In episode one, we looked into the history of the American Indian movement and their conflict with the federal government. In the first half of this two-part episode, we're going to dig in even deeper with the help of Edgar Bearrunner, Milo Yellowhair, Ward Churchill, Kevin McKiernan, and Chase Iron Eyes. We got a bit of rain today. We have a lot of traffic. Everyone's in town for... What's it called? Primus? Sturgis. Sturgis. <laughs> when Rory and I first made plans to meet Edgar Bear Runner on the Pine Ridge Reservation, we didn't realize we'd be flying into Rapid City, South Dakota, two days before Sturgis, the largest motorcycle rally in the world. Motel and car rental prices had doubled. The streets were clogged. But we managed to escape the hordes and track down Edgar's house on the outskirts of town. Edgar has lived on the Pine Ridge Reservation for almost his entire life, but he's been dealing with health issues lately. He didn't know what was wrong. He just knew he felt horrible. But when he went to see Indian Health Services on Pine Ridge, the doctors told him he had arthritis. The Indian Health Service is an operating division within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services that provides medical care to members of federally recognized Native American tribes, and Alaska Native peoples. And it may come as no surprise that the IHS, underfunded and understaffed, has a less than stellar reputation. So Edgar made sure to seek a second opinion off the reservation. A hospital in Rapid City agreed he had arthritis. But an oncologist there also diagnosed Edgar with stage 4 prostate and bone cancer. So Edgar moved with his wife and five granddaughters to be nearer the Rapid City facility where he sees a conventional doctor. But Edgar believes he's alive right now because of a mixture of Western and traditional medicine. Grandfather, good spirit, I call upon you to give me the strength 
that I need to continue to walk the red road. The red road is that traditional highway you built for us so that we can relate to you. Wakantanka, that is uh, the great spirit, right? Yeah, Wakantanka. Wakantanka. Tungashila, grandfather. Wakantanka, great spirit. Great spirit. And those ones that uh, give us uh, our healing, our restoration of health, that's uh, they're the ones that brought me back to health. If I was a white man, I would have been dead by now, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, but at the last minute, at the 11th hour, I uh, involved our religion, invoking our ancient healing ceremonies. Uh, because the white man medicine gave up on you. I just stay on this, straight on out of town. You know, uh, there's a hangman tree up here. The hangman tree was uh, utilized by the, the hate mongers uh, as an alternative uh, justice system. So here in South Dakota, like if a native guy was thought to steal or did something uh, against the law, they would take him to that tree and without a court hearing anything and hang him. So they have a, we have a hangman tree just like in the south, they're hanging blacks randomly, you know. So there's a tree here that uh, still up. Somebody tried to burn it down, but they saved it and they put the fire out. Gracious uh, reminder. Edgar has agreed to take us to Jumping Bull Ranch, the site of the firefight that put Leonard in prison 44 years ago. Oglala, the district of Pine Ridge that Jumping Bull is a part of is a 90-minute drive from Rapid City. And we'll finally set foot on that soil in part two of this episode. I grew up, I was raised on the Pine Ridge Reservation all my life. I raised my children, and my children got older and gave me grandchildren. Um, we got five grandchildren we're taking care of now. And we're raising them like our own. But the uh, uh, biggest disappointment, though, is... Uh, when an Indian family uh, takes care of five children, uh, Indian family gets only $730 for five children. Now, if you took him, you're white and you took him, they would give you $700 per child. So you see the disparity. I want to stick to one issue. I'm jumping around. I don't like that. Don't even worry about it. Because something might be connected or related to this issue here, you know. I know my mind's starting to work again. I'm really glad because uh, um, very, very seldom does uh, stage four prostate and bone cancer patients uh, survive. Edgar goes off on a lot of tangents. It might be the meds, like he says. But more than likely, it's that the history of the Lakota, like the history of all Native Americans, is a minefield of massacres, displacements, broken treaties, and unequal treatment under the law. It's hard to remember one tragedy without remembering a dozen others. In episode two, we visited Mount Rushmore, a monument to four American presidents carved into the sacred Black Hills that, according to the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868, belonged to the Lakota.
Because if there was any honesty in this word of this you know, American government, we would have western half of the state of South Dakota in the name of the Great Sioux Nation. That's Milo Yellowhair, the former vice president of the Oglala Sioux tribe. Oglala Lakota people, you know, we're famous for uh, defending the treaty rights. That's nothing new, you know. That's something that's been going on since the day after the treaty was signed back in 1868. That, you know, what's most important about the 1868 treaty of, the, of Fort Laramie is this. It was proclaimed as law by President Andrew Johnson. Proclaimed as law of the land by a president of the United States after passage in the Senate. Well, how much more law can you get than that? But almost immediately after Johnson signed the treaty, gold was discovered in the Black Hills. Prospectors, exploiting confusion about the agreement, began occupying claims on protected Lakota land around the year 1876, and the federal government didn't stop them. Today, uh, in the Black Hills, they celebrate something called the Days of 76. Well, you know, that's the first criminal act, really, you know. And uh, from that day on, they've been stealing land uh, piece by piece by piece using federal law, state law, all of these things like that. But, you know, you can understand in that time, all these political forces getting together and trying to disenfranchise the Indian once more from his lands on this reservation. You know, this reservation might be small, you know. They didn't like it and didn't want it, so they give it to us. They call it Badlands. Give the Badlands to the bad Indians. But the Badlands ended up being more valuable than the federal government originally thought. Here's Edgar again. See what those cars are out there? You can just stop momentarily. You can take a good look here. We're driving on South Dakota Highway 40 in a light rain when Badlands National Park suddenly comes into view. Edgar points out a scenic vista just off the road. Pull over, no cars will hit you, nothing like that. Gosh, it's that land uh, contains uh, huge deposits of oil and gas. This land has hot water. We can use that hot water to, to make electricity. But in our society, we're not developers, you know. We leave everything in the land just as is, you know. And um, uh, now, now we need to, we need to uh, stay with the pace, you know. We need to... Uh, set up our own oil company. Uh, we need to make our own oil and, and serve it to our tribal members you know, as our own revolving income. How much does the, how much of this land approximately do you also have? Well, today, the, the minority, the um, white people, rancher, farmer, they represent 7, 6% of the population, yet they own over 51% of the land. Own it. They bought it from over time, you know. Basically, what it came down to. It's the same thing in Oklahoma. Milo Yellowhair again. They said, well, you know, let those Indians drink that black water, you know. That black water turned out to be oil, you know. So that set off a whole issue down there about, you know, state rights and Indian rights. And the Indians lost out, no oil. And uh, Mr. Leonard Peltier, yeah, he got caught in the middle of all of that. He came here as a man who thought that he could make a difference in the movement of our people to establish things, that to create a better humanity uh, based on sharing and, you know, caring for each other and, you know, taking care of each other. He came to do all of that, those kind of things, because 
some ladies on this reservation decide to call him up and tell his friends, come and help us. We're in a tough situation here. You know, that we can't even go outside anymore because people are outside trying to kill us and beat us. You know, because around here, you know, in Pine Ridge, and everybody believes that, you know, Leonard really didn't have anything to do with it. It was a fiction that was created in order to separate the Lakota and his resources. To help Leonard, you can purchase his artwork at whoisleonardpeltier.info. All proceeds go to fund his legal defense. So check out his stuff. He's super talented. You can also help Leonard on social media by tweeting messages of support for Leonard's clemency to at POTUS and at real Donald Trump, as well as to Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. We know the president loves Twitter, so tweet, tweet, tweet. Let's keep Leonard in his timeline and mentions. In June 1980, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the federal government had illegally plundered Black Hills land granted by the 1868 Treaty. Writing for the majority, Justice Harry Blackman declared, quote, A more ripe and rank case of dishonorable dealing will never, in all probability, be found in our history. And with 103 years of interest, Blackman calculated that the Lakota were owed $120 million. But the Lakota refused the payment, demanding instead that the United States return the territory it stole. Forty years later, not a dollar of the settlement has been paid, and not an acre has been returned. The U.S. was talking about monetary compensation, and the Lakota position is that the Black Hills are not for sale. They never were, and they still aren't. This is the scholar and author, Ward Churchill. As the court puts it, in the case you're talking about, wrongly took it. It was a wrongful taking of property. Now, Indian indigenous, in general, so far as I know, there's different ways of looking at this according to the, the culture, specific culture you might want to talk about. The sort of common denominator is that don't relate to land as property in the sense that John Locke intended. Doesn't mean, you know, Locke is the be-all, end-all in defining property, how one relates to others. And those others can be land, (laughs) the environment of that land, the minerals in the land, the water comes with land, other people, um, other relatives of the four-legged, winged varieties, so on. In any case, by... The U.S. means of estimating wealth. This is extraordinarily valuable territory. It's been seriously estimated that the Black Hills itself, the Hisapa, Pahasapa, as it's referred to, the Black Hills National Forest now, pays the 100 most mineral-rich square miles on the planet. Oh, bullshit. This makes us sick. Makes me really sick. Mm. Here's Edgar Bear Runner again. Dick Wilson signed this land away. A lot of people don't know that. Our own tribal chairman kept us in the dark. We had no idea that our tribal president gave 133,000 acres of tribal land, rich in abundance of minerals, oil, gas, uranium, 
and other uh, precious metals. Uh, we never, we never knew uh, that the government uh, uh, took over this land, took it away from us, uh, uh, while doing so, a lot of people died through violence. The pilfering of Lakota land started almost as soon as the Fort Laramie Treaty was signed in 1868. But the thievery accelerated under the chairmanship of Pine Ridge President Dick Wilson in the early 1970s. In episode one, we touched on Dick Wilson and his private militia, the Goon Squad. It's time to dig deeper. Dick Wilson was a mixed blood Oglala. Ward Churchill again. He was an enrolled Oglala that was uh, worked as a plumbing contractor mostly and a bootlegger. <laughs> Left the reservation, went to Arizona, had some uh, charges that uh, were never pursued. They brought him back um, to Pine Ridge to stand for chairman. Interesting uh, progression. Back in 1992, Churchill wrote an article for the Yale Journal of Law and Liberation entitled, Death Squads in the United States, Confessions of a Government Terrorist. It's worth noting that Churchill is a controversial guy. He was fired from the University of Colorado for a paper he wrote in the wake of 9-11. And there are Native American activists who dispute his indigenous ancestry. But he is, without a doubt, one of the leading experts on FBI activities on Pine Ridge in the 1970s. You leave basically as a fugitive and come back as a candidate for tribal chair, uh, backed by a couple of uh, real estate developers in Rapid City, non-Indians. Uh, quid pro quo being, I would suppose that uh, they'd have an arm lock on uh, contracts on the reservation coming through the BIA if he were ensconced. And essentially, you know, he uh, bought boats. It doesn't take a whole lot of them on Pine Ridge, but he bought a sufficient number of boats and had federal backing and all that. Got himself uh, elected. And then strange things began to happen. And he hired his uh, brother, and he hired his wife, and he hired his nephew, and he hired his son, and he hired his friends. I don't know if you've ever been on Pine Ridge or Major Reservation, but it's like you're driving down the road. You arrive at the reservation boundary. There may or may not be a sign, but you know you're there because the bottom goes out of the road. And so you had these... uh, federal highway funds and for road repair, uh, (laughs) which were sorely needed, but, you know, decades have gone by without anybody allocating money to that. Wilson immediately took it and uh, created what he called Tribal Rangers Group, uh, paid for out of those funds. Counting was a little shaky, you could say. In the... um, Tribal Rangers essentially were to enforce the will of Dick Wilson on the reservation. As Churchill writes in his Death Squads article, this tribal ranger group, known as the Goons, and paid for with federal highway money, were, quote, responsible for the bulk of the AIM fatalities on Pine Ridge. 
If you'll remember from episode one, more than 60 AIM members and sympathizers were murdered on Pine Ridge between the years of 1973 and 1975. In those cases, Churchill continues, quote, where witnesses identified the murderers, the culprits invariably turned out to be known members of the reservation goon squad. Yet, in most instances, no formal FBI investigation resulted. You know, you got uh, the dropping of warrants and federal support and looking the other way while he's misappropriating funds and nepotism and all sorts of things going on just flagrantly. You know, what's up with the feds? What's their interest in this? Turns out it has to do with the northwestern one-eighth of the reservation. It's called the Gunnery Range. The federal government appealed to the Lakota to allow the military to use a section of the reservation for heavy artillery training during World War II. Interesting that the Indians should be so patriotic as to move out of their homes and off their land and uh, all of that. <laughs> Given the history of relations between the two, but that's, that's how it was packaged. And the deal was that at the end of the, the war, you know, supposed to go back, tribal control, people could uh, graze cattle out again. People could uh, move back out there and live on it again, so forth. The only thing is, suppose the unwritten law of U.S. relations with Indians is once the land goes away, you don't get it back. So we're talking circa 1970. Last I heard, World War II in Germany ended in April of 1945, so, you know, feds are slow. Between 1945 and 1970, the National Uranium Resource Institute, part of the U.S. military's nuclear weapons program, was surveying areas throughout the country for deposits of radioactive metals. They were doing satellite photography, uh, utilizing a special form that recorded, uh, I believe it was gamma ray emissions, they were trying to map out the location of every significant uranium deposit. And on field investigation, they discovered that the, there was indeed uranium there, and it was intermixed with molybdenum, which is another strategically useful mineral. And so the plan was feds were simply going to run through a transfer if they were going to um, assert formal title to it. But they needed an Indian sign-off. Well, Dick Wilson's the guy. But even before members of the Lakota knew Dick Wilson was selling off their land, tensions between the, quote, progressives like Wilson and the traditionals like Edgar Bearrunner were already boiling on Pine Ridge. The conflict had a lot to do with money, land, and power. But it was also about culture. Here's Edgar again. There was a period of time when Fublos, Bearrunner, changed his name to Smith. And Little Hawk changed his name to Johnson. They made fun of the Sundowns. They made fun of the powwow. They made fun of you if you sang the traditional song. It was so bad. It was like living in a white community. They were almost colonized by tribal members. So that all changed ended when traditional members, treated members, call upon AIM to come to the Pioneer Reservation to provide protection, to provide security. 
but the uh, decolonization process uh, began on the Pioneer Reservation when the American movement was invited. Before the American movement was invited to come to the Pioneer Reservation, it was almost a sin to be a full blood. It was almost a sin to be a dark-skinned Indian. When AIM moved to Pine Ridge at the request of the traditionals, Ward Churchill writes in Death Squads, quote, The goons shifted from intimidation tactics to outright death squad activities, thus pursuing not only their original objective, but the broader federal goal of eliminating AIM as a viable political force as well. This is partway through Wilson's first term. Ward Churchill again. The tribal rangers, who were by this point being called goons and in fact um, had adopted that as their own name. And they said it was an acronym standing for Guardians of the Oglala Nation. Okay, so you're not disparaging uh, the goons by calling them goons since that's what they called themselves. (laughs) Yeah, they were... uh, visiting violence in a fairly systematic uh, manner on people who were opposed to Wilson's nepotism, opposed to the way travel funds were being expended, uh, opposed to the goons (laughs) who were shoving people around because they were empowered to do so. Um, And as they became oppositions, you know, vocal or whatever, then they were targeted. Kevin McKiernan, a correspondent for NPR who reported from the Pine Ridge Reservation, interviewed Dick Wilson about AIM. Perhaps last summer, the tribal council here under uh, your administration banned the activities of the American Indian movement on the reservation. This is Kevin McKiernan. If you are re-elected tribal chairman, will that ban be reinstituted? And this is Dick Wilson. If I remember right, it's still in effect. And if I'm re-elected, you better know it's going to be reinstituted if it's not already. Because I won't tolerate them. And I won't call in the marshals this time either. We'll handle them ourselves. We have one of the finest BIA police forces in the country. Hear the confidence in his voice? Like the dictator of a banana republic, Wilson had no fears. And why would he? He was backed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the FBI, and his own private militia, the Guardians of the Oglala Nation. When we put them together, they'll they'll be able to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. But if you are reelected, you are saying that uh, the American Indian movement will be outlawed. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, yes. They're not even recognized by this tribe as a legally constituted group. All they are is rabble-rousers. We don't have time for them. There's, uh, there's a lot of constructive things that we as the council would like to be doing and other than having to defend ourselves constantly from outside threats. Indian religion and a return to a traditional uh, spiritual way of life, is that an issue in the coming election here? Yeah, I think it's going to be because the, the churches, the organized churches are supporting AIM. Uh, Means and, and others have said 
they want to turn away from Christianity, that they want to turn back to the old uh, religion of their forefathers, of the medicine men, of the uh, sweat lodges, of the Indian spiritual ceremonies, and so forth. Well, that's their prerogative. They ought to go back to their city jungles and do it. It's called, we call it a reign of terror at that time. This is Milo Yellowhair again, recalling what life was like on Pine Ridge in the 1970s. But that was shortly after, you know, the Alcatraz takeover, then in 1973, the Wounded Knee takeover, you know, the Trail of Broken Treaties into Washington, D.C. All of these things were set up that whole climate. And so, uh, and all of them were armed and dangerous. And they all little little armies, you know, they all had their little uh, networks. And uh, this, is, this is where we had to uh, select the amount of people, men on this reservation, men from other parts of this country came together and defended those uh, people who were the victims in this, uh, of this uh, madness at that time. Milo uses the phrase reign of terror to describe the systematic extrajudicial violence perpetrated by the goons against AIM and the traditionals. And he isn't exaggerating. Here's an example of the kind of frontier justice being meted out on Pine Ridge just three months before the shootout on the Jumping Bull Ranch that would send Leonard Peltier to prison. Edith Eaglehawk, a defense alibi witness for Jerry Bearshield, an AIM member who stood falsely accused of killing a goon, was driving between scenic South Dakota and Rapid City when another driver rammed her car off the road. Eaglehawk, her four-month-old daughter, and her three-year-old grandson were all killed. The driver of the car that caused the accident, Albert Coombs, a white rancher who'd been deputized as a goon by Dick Wilson, died too. But Eaglehawk's nephew, Eugene, survived the wreck despite major injuries, and he was able to identify a second man, Mark Clifford, another well-known goon, who'd escaped before police arrived at the scene. Eugene gave a statement to investigators, but neither the FBI nor the Bureau of Indian Affairs reports about the accident mentioned Clifford. The crash was eventually ruled an accident, and no charges were ever brought. If you supported the American Indian movement on Pine Ridge, and if you did something the goons didn't like, or had information the goons didn't want you to have, they knew they could target you with impunity. They might ambush you with a shotgun while you were sitting in your car, like they did Pedro Bissonette. They might poison you with carbon tetrachloride like they did Julia Prettyhips. They might stab you like they did Hilda Good Buffalo. They might beat you and run you over like they did Jancita Eagle Deer. They might beat you, shoot you, and run you over like they did Hobart Horse. Or they might run your car off the road and kill you, your daughter, and your grandson like they did Edith Eaglehawk because they knew no one would investigate. Of the 64 murders attributed to the goons between 1973 and 1975, fewer than 10 ever went to trial. Fewer than five resulted in any kind of conviction. If I was born as a white American, I'm bred and seeped in a mythology where I'm the, the victor, I'm the conqueror, I'm the colonizer. This is Chase Iron Eyes, a Lakota activist, writer, and attorney whom we heard from in episode two. You know, my ancestors were brave and hardy. They were settlers. You know what I mean? They tamed the Wild West and so forth. Um, there's a lot of that infused into our justice system. And so uh, 
the more that we're able to kind of share a truth about what happened to Leonard and in those circumstances that surround that time, because it's still relevant today. It's, it's not popular though, because indigenous sovereignty isn't popular right now. The only time it's popular is when we're having to put up resistance like we did at Standing Rock, you know? But Leonard was defending indigenous sovereignty. And that's, that's a tie that's got, that's got to be made to make him relevant today to this generation. He's also doing the time of those who have uh, an interest in defending our constitutional freedom as well. You know, we, in our country, we shouldn't have a political prisoner. We shouldn't have an Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden should be a hero in this country. So should Chelsea Manning. And it's the opposite. The war criminals should be locked up and they're out there being celebrated, running free, you know, worry-free. I know we've said this two times already, but in the next episode of Leonard, Political Prisoner, Edgar Bear Runner actually takes us to the Jumping Bull compound. When I came to the buff, the end of the hill here, I was summoned by uh, SWAT teams down here along the creek bed down there. They had my marks on the forehead. I shouldn't turn around, drop, and then kill me on the spot. We're young. We're in the trees, and we could see them. They're like We're like leveled to the cops and the FBI's were driving by. They just thought we were just kids in the trees, you know, being nosy. Everybody else was hiding in the culvert underneath the, you know, the road they were driving on. Finally, when that plane left them, they said, go ahead and start running. Nothing but grass, no trees, nothing. We had to run. And the same time when he was running, they were shooting at us all over. Full disclosure, we're a skeleton crew. Everyone is working pro bono right now, and we're essentially writing these episodes in real time. The more we work on telling this story, the more we realize we still need to tell. No joke, a month ago, we thought we were just making one six-episode season. But this story is so big, if y'all are interested in hearing it, we could be sharing it for the next few years. But hopefully, long before we finish telling the story of the Pine Ridge shootout, Leonard will finally be free. This podcast is produced, written, and edited by Rory Owen Delaney, James Kalin, and Andrew Fuller. And it was recorded on Tongva land in what is now considered Los Angeles. Thanks to Maya Minard, Emily Deutsch, and Blessing Yen for helping support us while we do what we hope is important work. Thanks to Bobby Halverson for the original music we're using throughout the series. And thanks to Mike Cassantini, at the Network Studios for his engineering assistance, and to Peter Lauridson and Sycamore Sound for their audio mixing. Thanks to Kevin McKiernan for giving us access to the audio from his reporting on Pine Ridge and for helping us fact-check this episode. Thanks to Paulette Dote at the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. Thanks to Kathy Peltier and Anne Begay in Rigo 23 for welcoming us into their family. Thanks to Edgar Bear Runner for guiding us through his land and his history. And thanks, most of all, to Leonard Peltier. And two last shout-outs this week. Thanks to U.S. District Court Judge James Boesberg for ruling that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had violated environmental law when it granted a permit for the Dakota Access Pipeline. 
this is a huge win for everyone who gathered to protest Dapple at Standing Rock and to the tribes whose land the pipeline violates. And a big non-ironic thanks to the Supreme Court of the United States, who last week ruled that an area covering roughly half of the state of Oklahoma, including most of the city of Tulsa, belongs to the Muscogee Creek Nation. What this actually means for Indian sovereignty is hard to say, but it's a huge legal victory. To get involved and help Leonard, call the White House at 202-456-1111 and request immediate clemency from President Trump. For more information, go to www.whoisleonardpeltier.info or find us on social media at Leonard underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram or facebook.com backslash Leonard podcast. This podcast is a production of Man Bites Dog Films, LLC. Free Leonard Peltier. <laughs>